Evening, church. <laughs> and so, yeah, if you turn with me to First Samuel chapter 17, so there's plenty of time for you to turn there. If you don't have it, you can follow through at the screen at the back here. Now, this is a very famous battle. This battle gets referenced time and time again, and it still gets referenced today. It references about the little guy versus the big guy. Now, why did I pick this passage to preach today? It's because God's been placing it in my heart throughout the week, and I just don't know why. And I'm just asking God, why do I want want to preach about David and Goliath? But this phrase, David and Goliath, kept appearing throughout my week randomly through people, through watching random documentary videos. I was watching this crazy little mongoose versus a lion, and, and that phrase was used, and here we are. 1 Samuel chapter 17. And I really believe that... This message is for those of you who are battling and and battling and seem to not find any victory. It's those of you who, who, who are doubting at the moment, is there any light at the end of the tunnel? Because I know that your God wants you to live free and not in the anxiety and not over things that terrorize you, agonize you, demoralize you and intimidate you. No matter how big it was, no matter how tall it is, no matter how powerful or loud that it seems, no matter how long it's been there in your life, God wants you to know that today you can live in the victory that He has gained. Because when our representative win, we win. But before we get into the passage, would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we pray that you send your Holy Spirit. Help us to see your Son tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Church, the author first describes and and he paints the portrait. He paints the scene for us that there are two mountainsides and and the two armies have drawn the battle line. The army of Israel, the people of God is on one side and the enemy, the Philistine is on the other side. And in the valley, there's a valley and that is where they will do most of their battle. And then in verse 4, it says, There came out of the camp of the Philistine a champion named Goliath. Now, interestingly enough, this word champion literally means the man. He was the man between the army. He was the decisive factor. He was the man that stood in between. He was nine feet tall, the Bible says. And so that is three meters according to Australian height. Three meters. Now, this bro is NBA material through and through. Because he is nearly standing eye level to the rim. So imagine this guy dunking. It's just really easy. Just, and it says he flexed. He had a bronze helmet on his head and he wore a coat of bronze weighing 500 shekels. Which works out to be 60 kilograms. And I'm about 60 kilograms. So imagine him just wearing me as a coat. <laughs> Not only that, he had leg guards made of bronze and he had... A bronze javelin which was slung on his back and just the tip of it, you know, the triangular part at the tip of it, it was weighing 600 shekels, which is around 7 kilograms. So we know that this guy is obviously the man. And in the Middle Eastern sun, as it shines out on him, it gives him the illusion that he is radiating because he is covered in bronze from head to toe as his armor glistens and sparkles. All the attention is on him and he takes this deep breath and the next 
we hear a roar, a declaration of war. And he says, choose a man and have him come down and fight me. If he wins, we will be your servants. And if I win, you will be my servants. Winner takes all. It's time to duel. Now, why did the author go into so much detail to portray this invincible type character? Why? Because he doesn't want you to miss the point. He's trying to get the point across that this is a monster that you wouldn't want to face in Mortal Kombat because you will end up on the receiving end of the fatality. This is an invincible type character. And he issues an impossible type challenge. You know, he's not just challenging you like he's like one versus a group. No, no, this is one v one. It's not where he, he's challenging you and he offers a handicap. Hey, you know what? I'm not going to use any weapon. I'm just going to use my fist. In fact, I'm only going to use one hand. No, no, this is mono e mono. You face Goliath with all of his strength and all of his might. Now, who would be crazy enough to do that? Now, when I was growing up, there was a joke going around um, in the Nala. That's, that's where I grew up in, in Brisbane. And there was a joke that goes around the, the Vietnamese uh, community. And, and the joke went like this. It was, starts off with a question. Now, how do you beat a Viet in a fight? The answer is you break his phone. Why? Because if you don't break his phone, he will call his immediate family, which consists of already 10 brothers, and you don't even want to count the amount of cousins that he has. And the Viets were known to fight dirty. We never fought one-on-one. We always fought in packs. <laughs> so the fight against Goliath, this is without any aid. This is without your crew. Now, this is suicidal. Now, this isn't ain't no suicide squad. You go in alone, so it's suicide solo. And here, Saul and the, the army of the Israelites, when they heard this, they trembled within their feet. Terror struck them. They were frozen. They were paralyzed. And they're like, nah, not today. I'm not going down there. I'm not, no way am I fighting this guy. And Saul, who was the king of the Israelites, the Bible describes him physically as the only one that's qualified to fight Goliath because the Bible says that he was a head taller than everyone else in his country. He was the tallest one in the camp and he is still like his men. He's saying, nah, I am not fighting that guy. Seems like a lot of trouble. But then verse 12, almost like movie-like, it, the scenery switches from the battlefield to a meadow field, meadow field. And here we have the shepherd boy, David, who gets an order from his dad to deliver some food to his brothers and just to check up on him. Verse 19, it said, David left home to go to the Israelite battle camp early in the morning. And he also arrived there early in the morning. Now, this doesn't mean much to you, but if you know your geography well, and if you studied it, and if you measured it, you will find out that David traveled 25 kilometers really fast. Now, he just ran half a marathon. Started in the morning, and he still got there in the morning. He ran really fast, and little did he know that he was also going to run up and face a titan. And so he gets to this army. He greets his brothers. They were talking 
a little bit, and lo and behold, a colossus of a Philistine comes on the battle line and he spoke the same words that he spoke the other day. And he's taunting the Israelite army again. One v one, me bro. Look at all these chickens. <laughs> and according to the Bible, he issued this challenge for 40 days. For t- and twice in a day. Every morning and every evening. So for 40 days without fail, he will step out in the front lines and he will start yelling at a challenge. Now, what a monster. There was no microphone back then. There was no voice amplified. Now, how did this beast not lose his voice? And his voice still remains authoritative as it was since the first day. And David hears this guy that comes out and gives smack talk to the people of God. And he he also starts hearing this Philistine starts mocking God. Now I don't know what went through David's head, but he's probably he's he's been infuriated. His fist is clenched, his teeth is grinding together, the color on his face is turning red due to anger. But as he looks around, every time this giant step one step forward, the people of God move a few steps back. And it seems like he's looking around and it seems like people are not red color like him. But every time he steps closer, they're becoming more paler and paler. It's like seems some sort of force has sucked the blood right out of them. And still as he looks around, he sees people with knees weak, armor heavy. They're wobbling. And he's asking around, you're joking, right? You're not angry? You're actually scared? Well, why aren't you guys doing anything about him? Why aren't you guys taking him down? What's going on here? Why aren't you putting him to sleep? And the people of God said to Israel, I mean, the people of Israel said to David, Do you not see him? Just just look at him. He's a man that defiles Israel. I ain't going out there. He's like a Gyarados and we're like a bunch of pidgeys. And another random soldier goes, but, but there's a reward. The king is so desperate that he offered that whoever can slay that giant will get the money and honey. In other words, you get a cash prize and you also get his daughter as the princess to be your bride. And not only that, the whole family gets tax exemption. How good is that? But as readers of the 21st century, as audience, as we peer into this story, we observe that despite how awesome this package deal is, no one rose to the challenge. Why? Because what good is it if you're dead? How can you enjoy a reward if you're dead? The risk outweighed the reward. It's equivalent to someone asking you, hey, I pay you a dollar, one dollar, if you go in the ring and you fight Mike Tyson and win. Would you do it? No, no, you wouldn't. That's crazy. That's not worth it. It's only $1. And probably if you step into the ring, you might lose your ear. (laughs) Or even if someone pays you a million dollars, you know it's no good as the prize because what if he punches your brain and it flies out of your ear? The risk was not worth the reward. That's the picture here. It's not worth it. No one was willing to go. 
And David finally says, do you not see that he's uncircumcised? In other words, he's not in our covenant. He doesn't have the protection on him. Who does he think he is to defy the armies of the living God? Then Eliab, his oldest brother, kind of gets annoyed. What do you mean, mate? What do you mean? You are going to take him on? Why are you even here? Why did you even leave your pets back home? Go back to where you come from, you wicked, evil person. You just come here to see the violence and see the slaughter, didn't you? Accusing him. But David kind of just ignores his older brother. And then he goes around telling people that he, David, will take on the Goliath. And the Bible says that the news spread like wildfire. And then the news reached the ear of King Saul. And King Saul summons David. And in the presence of Saul, David is like, I'll take him on. I got this. And Saul is sizing up David. Sure you do. I really can take him on. You're but a youth and he's been fighting since his youth. In other words, you're at best an amateur and he's a veteran. You get wrecked, son. But in response, David says, it's okay. There was once this lion and a bear who came to try to steal my sheep and I ran after them and I killed them and I rescued the sheep from their jaws. And Saul's probably having a little laugh. So, so you're saying you, you shepherd boy, killed a lion and a bear. You, like, like somehow one day the bear and the lion became best friends and tag team and, and tried to steal one of your sheep and you killed them both. You did that. Yes. Okay. But Saul was so desperate that he just gave David a shot anyways. And so Saul summoned his men to give David the best armor, which was his armor, the armor of the king. And so David puts on this armor and he realized, man, this is heavy. This is not fitting me. I can't move. I'm losing my speed. And he goes, he takes that off and he goes, no thanks, king. I don't need this armor. Because I have God. And he goes out onto the battlefield. And his weapon of choice was his shepherd's staff and five smooth stones that he found from the river. And then we enter the fight scene. And as the commentator says, and you'll hear him. Ladies and gentlemen, a very good afternoon to you, and we welcome you to the main event of the battle here in Sokol Judah, for the bout that is about to go down in history where the stakes are high and the winner takes all and the loser dies. Sponsored to you by your very own Sequoia Cafe. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, are you ready to rumble? And the crowd goes wild on the red corner. He has his shield bearer with a sword and a bronze armor head to toe weighing about a thousand pounds with a victory score of 99 and zero survivors. He is the man, the heavyweight reigning champion of the Philistines, the undefeated giants of Garth, Goliath. And your crowd of the Philistine goes wild and they're chanting his name, Goliath, Goliath. And others are yelling, kill him, yeah, destroy him. And you hear, you can do it. And on the blue corner, we have a shepherd boy musician weighing about 100 pounds, claims to have killed a lion and a bear pair. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, the eighth son of Jesse, who came out of nowhere. 
Not John Cena, David. You hear the crowd boos. And you look into the crowd and you see his brothers with hands on their heads, worrying, oh boy, what are we going to tell dad? He's going to get killed out there. And as the two warriors drew closer, we hear their conversation. Goliath starts off laughing. Well, what, after 40 days and 40 nights of me taunting you guys and challenging you guys, the best that your nation can offer is a boy with a stick? Boy, I'm going to feed you to the birds of the air and the beasts of the fields. But David, with no fear in his eyes and a look of defiance, he replies, You come against me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord God Almighty. The God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled in this day, God has given you into my hands. And not just you, but everyone around you. You see all those, those Philistines behind, behind, standing behind you? It's their bodies that's going to be fed to the birds of the field and the beasts of the field. And you will know that on this day, you will know that there is a God in Israel and that you have done messed up. For the battle is the Lord's. The bell rings, ding, ding, signaling the start of the fight, signaling the start of the battle. Goliath moves slowly towards David, taking his time. But on the other hand, David is very quick on his feet and he's running towards Goliath. No, Goliath, he just wants to take things slow. He just wants to play around with his prey, thinking in his head, probably, man, I... I wanted to give this kid some time to live, but well, he seems like he's rushing to his death and he's entertaining thoughts on how he's going to annihilate this shepherd boy, to rip this shepherd boy to shreds. But before he knew it, he gets struck with a massive headache. His vision is blurring. His eyes roll back to the back of his head and he's, suddenly he founds that he's, his hands and his feet are not responding to the signals of his brain. And before he knew it, he falls down and he bites the dust. He was clueless on what hit him. Now this happened all in the brink of an eye. The crowd who was watching both sides with their binoculars on, they're confused of what happened. Oh, what happened? All they saw was this boy reached down into its pouch, pulled, down a, pulled out a rock and started doing a twirling motion with his sling. And before they knew it, the giant wiggled and he jiggled and he was no more and the sidekick that was beside him this useless shield bearer was slowly awkwardly backing away and the bible says david he was still running now this guy likes to run a lot ran a marathon in the morning and he's still running he only stops when he gets on top of goliath's body the Bible says he stood on Goliath's body. Now their position has changed. Now he is the one looking down on Goliath. And he yanks Goliath's helmet off his head. He takes Goliath's sword because he didn't bring a sword of his own. So he used this, the enemy's weapon and he grabs Goliath's sword and he hacks at Goliath's head and detaches that head from that body and he lifts that head up in victory pretty gory right 
Can you imagine the silence that was on the battlefield? Just for a while, just, everyone is flabbergasted. It's like, did that, did that just happen? And what the Bible says next is, when the Philistines saw that the hero was dead, they went, oh no. And they turned and they ran. And the Israelites, after 40 days of silence, finally surged forth with a great shout and gave chase to the Philistines. Now that's an epic story. You go home and you read it in detail by yourself. Now that is really epic story with everything of that word. Now what does that story have to do with us? You may be already be thinking of your giants at the very moment I started this talk. You may be thinking of that obstacle within your life. Maybe the situation, the bad situation that you are facing, that sickness or, or, or that struggling relationship. And after hearing this story, you're pretty pumped. You think you can go out and you can do the same, that you can also slay giants. And some of you are already going to go out and pick up some five smooth stones. Thinking to yourself, yeah, I can take on that bully. Yeah, I can take on that financial situation. I can take on that sickness. I can kill off my sin. That, that pride, that greed, that lust, that addiction. No, no, no. God's message for you today is he's not asking you to buckle up to go out there and fight. Why? Because you are not the main character here. You are not the protagonist here. Because scripture does not point to you. It only points to one person. And Jesus, he was the better David. Ultimately, the Bible is not about you. It's not about me. It's all about Jesus and what he has done for us. That's how we are included in this scripture. This story isn't about you facing off your fears and your giants within your life. No, no, this story is a foreshadowing of the gospel, the coming good news. And David, the champion, was only pointing to the ultimate, the real champion, the true champion, the true, the man, the representative that stands between in the middle, the one that decides the fact that the MVP, who just not just represents one nation, but represents the world. David, who was obedient to his father Jesse, so was Jesus obedient to the Father's will. He leaves his throne of heaven and he comes down into this world in the form of a baby. With no armor, with, with not the king's armor, not, not with the best armor, not with the protection. No, Jesus has come down to face head on the fragility and the mortality of what this earth has to offer. Jesus was not fighting for us in the flesh. He was fighting as us, as our representative. Why? Because the enemy has sent out their champion to taunt the people of God. In the same way, sin taunts humanity day in, day out, sowing fear and doubts, declaring that you can never beat me. This addiction, this anxiety, this guilt and shame, I own you. I have a grip on you. You are mine. And so you know who we are in this story? We're not David. Who we really are is those soldiers standing on that hillside just watching the battle, trembling within our boots. Why? Because the Bible says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
with all of our strategy, with all of our deeds and works and efforts that we could conjure up, there is nothing that we can do, nothing that can equip us to defeat sin. We were doomed from the get-go. But then there came an unlikely champion, a shepherd boy who his own family has overlooked, who his own family accused him and doubted him. Christ also came to his own, but his own rejected him. But there was nothing that could be said. There was nothing that could be done that could deter him from that cross. He runs with a purpose and a determination to stand at the very front lines of that battlefield to face humanity's ultimate nemesis face to face. Jesus came to set the soul of humanity free. He did not sway away from his mission. He carried the cross to Calvary. He was whipped, mocked and scorned by the crowd. And on that tree, He died for you and bled for you and me. His body was beaten and broken, yet forgiveness was all that He spoken. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. And it was on that cross, Jesus says, it is finished. He took His final breath. Jesus died for our sins, our transgressions and our iniquities. And at this, surely, Satan would have laughed. As Goliath laughed, because he thought, surely, the victory is his. How can this little boy defeat him? But what happens is we all know that David slung a stone. He knocks down Goliath, uses Goliath's very own sword to cut off Goliath's very own head to declare his victory. And this is the exact way that Jesus executes his victory. Satan came into this battle with an arsenal of ploys, schemes and weapons. And hell, hell was wondering what the hell went wrong that day. Wasn't it perfect to use the Pharisees? Wasn't it perfect to use Judas, his disciple, Pilate and Herod? That rugged cross, those nails, those crown of thorns, that spear on his side just to make sure that he's really dead? What went wrong? And I'll tell you what went wrong. The stone. The stone was flung. The stone, three days later, was rolled away. And our triumphal king used the cross that was designed to kill him to defeat death, our enemy. The cross was once a symbol of death and of execution, but now becomes a symbol of love and hope. The enemy thought that by spilling the blood of the lamb, that the lamb would be no more. But little did the enemy know that by spilling that blood, there was now forgiveness of sin. We have a resurrected king. We have a giant slayer who comes in the power and in the name of God, who snatches us out of the jaw of death and despair. And so when, church, when the enemy ever taunts you again, when you hear that voice, no matter how loud, no matter how tall, no matter how big, no matter how long they have stayed in your life, when if you ever hear this, who are you? You're not good enough. Why would God love you? 
I encourage you, Oikos Church, to look at the cross. You look at our champion. That is proof that God loves you because He has sent His only begotten Son for you because He so loved the world. And there on that cross, He says to you, see as far as from the east is to the west, see how far I have removed your sin. What courts can they bring you in to condemn you? When I have declared you righteous, I have become sin so that you could become the righteousness of God. And child, you are a child of God. You are the apples of His eyes. You are loved. You are loved. You are loved. You are loved. And there is nothing in the world, nothing in this universe that could separate me and you from that love. The story reveals to us that when David won the battle, when David had that victory, only then the people of the Israelites, after 40 days of silence, were able to surge out and shout to be able to join that battle. Church, if Christ's victory has really sunk in your heart, you would also want to shout a praise for Him. Only then, out of His victory, could you find the courage to battle sin. Because we are not fighting a fight to, to gain victory. No, no, we are fighting from a position of crisis victory. So I encourage you, look at the champion that represents you. Let us praise Him.